Our reading this morning is uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, and then chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you are taken." For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and clothed them. Thank you, Kathy, um, for
for reading for us. Just a reminder uh, to you that we do uh, hopefully have time at the end of the message to uh, entertain a couple questions, if there are any. So keep that in mind as you're as you're listening, and perhaps there uh, there are questions that may come to mind that we can uh, we can address. Um, we're parked right now here in Genesis chapter three, and this is our second week in Genesis chapter three because. Uh, this is one of the foundational texts for understanding not just all of Scripture, but I would argue understanding human history. In other words, what, what I would like to propose to you is that if you don't get what Genesis 3 is about, you will not actually be able to properly interpret human history. You won't understand where we are, where we've been, and where we're going. Because what this passage does is it lays down for us not just what's wrong with the world, but what's wrong with us. And as we looked at this passage together last week, we saw that the fundamental problem with the human race is, is that we have chosen in various ways uh, to take ourselves out from underneath the, uh, the loving authority of our Creator and have chosen to be our own authorities over our lives. And there have been tragic consequences that we have been dealing with ever since. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at one major consequence of that sin, that sin of, of rebellion against God that says, I don't want to follow your way and live according to your way. I want to follow my way and live according to my ways. Uh, the consequence of that, the major consequence of that uh, for our lives. And it's, it begins with what it says here in chapter 2, verse 25. That's the very top of the passage that Kathy just read for us. It says, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And what's interesting is, is as you read chapter 2, it almost sounds like those verses, that the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame, it sounds like those words are sort of tacked on. It's at the end of this uh, sort of creation story, uh, and you get this first marriage where God brings Adam and Eve together, and they fall in love, and they're married, and then it seems, it seems like it says, oh yeah, by the way, they didn't have any clothes, but don't worry about it, it didn't bother them. That's what it seems like, but that's actually not what's happening. In fact, what's happening is, is God is describing a profound condition in which human beings were created. He's describing how human beings were meant to be and how we were meant to be in relationship, in fact, with one another. What? We were created to be naked? No. It's not that we were created not to have any clothing. It's far deeper than that. And you have to understand the context of Genesis 3 to realize the profundity of Genesis 2. Do you get what I'm saying? So what we're going to do is is we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3. And notice in verse 7 of Genesis chapter 3, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And this is, this is kind of a strange comment, isn't it? They, they realized they were naked as though, as though at some point they were sort of blind to this reality. And then all of a sudden they went, ah, I'm naked. 
And as a result of the fact that they realized they were naked, they decided to hide. So the picture is, is that God has come to the garden uh, like he did probably daily. I don't know, well, I'm speculating, but the text suggests that God regularly came to the garden to have his, his chat with Adam and Eve. He was walking in the cool of the garden as, as he typically does. And then all of a sudden, he sees, and it says, Adam says to God, well, I heard that you were in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So let's work our way back here. I hid because I was afraid. I was afraid because I was naked. What's going on here? Maybe what you have in your mind at first is this picture of, you know, uh, I don't know if this ever happens to you. I'm sorry if it has ever happened to you. But, you know, when you, you, you use the bathroom and then maybe you forgot to lock the door and someone walks in on you and you're like, ah! Is that sort of what's going on here? Maybe that's the, the idea that's conjured up in your mind. But that's not the idea that, that Genesis is trying to communicate. Because in verse 11, if you keep reading, God says, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now, when he says, who told you that you were naked, what he's saying is, is look, before the fall, before whatever you did, before you did whatever you did, before that, you had no problem with being naked. I used to walk and talk with you and it didn't bother you. And now you're hiding and you say, it's because you're naked. In other words, God is saying, Adam, that is a lousy excuse. You were naked before and you didn't have any problem with it. What changed? What changed, Adam? Something's different here. And the difference is not your state of dress. Here's what's going on. Before what we typically call the fall, before the change, Adam and Eve experienced a very special, a very wonderful thing. They were naked and they felt no shame. Now that's a weird verse, but remember, it's not weird up against the context of Genesis chapter 3. When you put that verse that they were naked and felt no shame up against what happened in Genesis 3, you discover that Adam and Eve experienced before the fall something that all of us here in this room want and want desperately. They were two things. They were completely known and they were deeply loved at the same time. Let me say that again. They were completely known and they were deeply loved at the same time. See, in Scripture, nakedness is not just a description of your state of dress. It's meaningful and symbolic. To be naked in Scripture means to be profoundly vulnerable it's symbolic of being totally known from the bottom there's nothing hidden everything about you is out there and it is known by another you see adam and eve before this fall they were happily naked if i can put it that way which means that they were happily 
known by God and by one another. Nothing was hidden in their relationship with God and nothing was hidden in their relationship with each other. God knew them completely to the bottom, emotionally, physically, psychologically, spiritually. He knew the depths of their thoughts. He knew their greatest loves. He knew their highest hopes. He knew absolutely everything about them. They were radically vulnerable. There was nothing hidden from his eyes and it didn't bother them one bit. And I say, and it didn't bother them one bit, because if I describe radical vulnerability to you, and I talk about somebody knowing you absolutely to the bottom, where there is not a single thing about you hidden from them, they know everything about you, everything you've ever done, everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever said, everything you've ever hoped, everything you've ever feared, everything you've ever felt guilty about, everything you've ever dreamed about, if I tell you that there is someone out there who knows all that about you, and can know all that about you, you find that a terrifying concept. I bet you do. That's a nightmare, not a dream. To have somebody know me completely. But remember, it says not just that they were naked, it says that they were unashamed. So they're not just totally known, they're totally loved. Everybody else hear that too? I don't have... (laughs) Who's playing a video game in here? And are you winning? Okay, I'm just going to have to just keep talking over that, I guess. I don't know what that is. Okay, They, they, they were not just totally known, they were totally loved and accepted because they felt no shame. You see, because they didn't have shame... Or, sorry, let me put this this way. The reason they didn't have shame was because they didn't have guilt. And the reason they didn't have guilt was because they had not sinned. They were totally what the Bible calls righteous in God's sight. When God looked at them, he saw that they had nothing to hide. And it was true, they had nothing to hide. See, when you have nothing to hide, when you don't have guilt, you won't have shame. When you have nothing to hide, you're okay with being completely known. You have a totally clear conscience. You have no guilt. And before that fall, Adam and Eve, they had the security of a totally rock-solid, unwavering love of God. This was bliss, man. This is what every human heart longs for. To be known completely and to be loved completely at exactly the same time this is what you want and adam and eve actually had that but they they lost it because of the fall and therefore they were guilty and that guilt produces shame it's hard to sometimes distinguish between guilt and shame and one of the ways you can try to distinguish it at least is to say you know guilt is a sense of of feeling bad for what you've done Whereas shame is a sense of feeling bad for who you are. And very often those two things are closely linked. When you feel bad about the things you've done, you you start to reflect on who you are because you think to yourself, how in the world could a person like me do the things like that? And you discover that you are ashamed, not just of the things that you've done, but the things that you are. And Adam and Eve felt that way about themselves. Because of their guilt, they felt a tremendous amount of shame. And so they hid. They dove for cover. And every human being since then has been doing the same thing. Because you know what? 
deep down in our hearts, we believe that you can't have both anymore. We desperately want to believe that we can be, no, sorry, we desperately want to be completely known and completely loved, but we don't believe we can be. And now it's become this impossible dream, you know? You know, in your wistful moments, even those of you who are in great relationships with a, a, a spouse that you have known for decades, perhaps, and nobody knows you like that person, there are still times where you think to yourself, oh, if my husband or if my wife knew how radically insecure I really am, I wonder what they'd think. See, the Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? In other words, the Bible says that you are so complicated, you are so messed up, you are so conflicted, even deep down inside yourself, that you don't even make sense to you. Have you ever done something, said something, thought something, and went, where on earth did that come from? And what you want to do is you want to explain it away as, that's not me. That was the burrito. When in reality, you just had a glimpse of what's really deep down there. It's in the basement of your being. Some of us live in old houses, you know. We don't like to go in the basement. So what do we do? We open the door, we flick on the right light, and we rattle lots of things, and we stomp down the stairs, and then we're okay with having a look in the basement because all the ugly stuff has scurried away. Hmm. Every now and then I meet people from my childhood, and I hate it when I hear them say, oh, I remember you. my mind starts racing. Why? There's a lot of things from my childhood I am not very proud of, and so I carry around guilt and shame over that. There's a story that Arthur Conan Doyle, apparently, at one point, uh, he, as a prank, he wrote a telegram to a few of his friends, and all the telegram said was, all is discovered, flee at once. Some of them left town immediately. Look, there's stuff in you that you don't want anybody to know. Because if they knew, they would be repulsed. And you know that's true because you know people are like you. You know you're judgy. You know that about yourself. And so you know that about other people, too. You know that if you knew things about them, you would go, Bleh. So what do we do? We need to be loved. We need to be accepted. We long for that. We can't live without that. And so what we do is, is we trade being known for being loved. Here's Adam and Eve, and what do they do? Immediately when they discover that they are naked, it says in verse 7, they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They covered up. They found a way to make it possible for them in their state to be able to present themselves to one another and to God. 
They, they, they didn't just cover their private parts, okay? They began to control the message. You know what I mean when I say control the message? You control the message. You cover up your sins. You cover up your flaws. You, you try to spin the version of yourself to present to the world in such a way that it makes you lovable to others. And maybe you latch on to a particular other. And so you tailor yourself to, to be attractive to that particular other. Or you have a whole community that you're trying to gain love and acceptance among. And so you analyze very carefully what it is I got to do to gain the acceptance of that community. And you work really hard at, at being that person. This is at the root, okay? This is at the root of almost everything you do. Almost everything you do. If you can figure this out about yourself, you got a chance. Let me just give you a couple of simple illustrations. Uh, the pastor, he... Uh, texts you and he says, hey, I'm in your area. Just thought I'd drop by for coffee. And you go, the house is a mess. It's a disaster. I didn't know he was coming. I don't want him to see what, a, what a, the kind of squalor we live in. <laughs> and so you say, well, how about I'm, I'm out and about too. <laughs> how about I just meet you at Starbucks? Let me give you one word. Spanks. Some of you know what that is. And you're literally covering up in order to present a certain self to the world so that you can be accepted by the person or the community or the ideal that you have set before you. Think about what drives you. You know, there are people who actually... they. They value overwork. They value workaholism. They actually will never say this to themselves openly and honestly, but they actually prefer to be able to come home and say, I didn't get to see my kids today because I just had so much to do help people. We're always looking for people to rescue. We're always looking for more to do for them because it, feels, it feeds our own soul and our own sense of insecurity over who we are and we are longing to gain that approval. Some of us are such private people, we won't let anybody in. We won't just let them into our house. We won't let them into our lives either because we are terrified about what people would actually see there. And some of us always need a date we're terrified at the prospect of being alone. We think that we're nobody until somebody loves us. To be known and to be loved. We long for it and we, we can't have both. And so we, we cover ourselves with these fig leaves all the time. The deepest longing of our heart has become the deepest fear. And you know, if you could accomplish that, you know deep down in your soul, you know instinctively that if you had that, you could handle anything. 
You know that if you were in a state of absolute security by someone who knew everything about you so that there was nothing about you that could ever surprise them or ever shock them or ever really repulse them so to the point where they said, I have got to break fellowship and relationship with you. You know that if you had somebody who knew you that well and yet accepted you and loved you and cherished you beyond your wildest dreams, you know that if you actually had that, you could face pretty much anything. If your job went south, they'd still welcome you into their loving arms. If you committed a terrible moral failure, they would still delight in you and say, I understand and I love you. If you, if you didn't achieve that su- superb goal that you have set before yourself, they don't think any less of you. They have you and they hold you and they delight in you no matter what. Every one of us knows that if I had that one thing, I could face whatever life would throw at me and yet, We're absolutely terrified of having that one thing. And so we're stuck. And we're sewing together these fig leaves and we're working really hard so that people will love us and we can fill that that sort of, that always leaky cup that we seem to be. And it is such a grind. You know, I feel bad for these Instagram celebrities Think of the pressure you must live under to produce more content all the time. To get the next set of likes or the shares, whatever those things are called. We're stuck. Well, this nightmare doesn't have to be a nightmare. There has to be a way out of this. And, And Genesis 3 actually gives us a hint at the way out of this. You notice that, that God comes to the garden and what does he do? He does something very interesting. He asks a lot of questions, hey? Adam, Eve, where are you? Hmm. Adam, Eve, who told you that you were naked? Adam, Eve, what is this you have done? Now, this is God, remember, okay? The Bible presents God as an all-knowing, all-powerful being. He's walking along in the garden. Is he really, is he really uh, like, in the investigative stage of, of, you know, law and order or something like that? He's like a detective trying to uncover, what just happened here? Hmm, I will be like Columbo and figure this out. Obviously not. He's not asking the questions for his sake. He's asking the questions for Adam and Eve's sake. He's helping them process exactly what it is that happened to them because he is, the Bible says, a wonderful, the wonderful counselor. And so, yes, he's, he's placed his gaze, his scrutinizing gaze on them, and he knows that they cannot stand his gaze. They can't stand up against his gaze because he is holy and he is pure and he is completely just. After laying down this curse and all seems lost and all seems like like darkness and, and doom and gloom and Adam and Eve are despairing, verse 21 says something so strange. The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. God clothes Adam and Eve. And he didn't just clothe them, he gave them better clothing than they already had. But, but understand, God had to do something. In order to clothe Adam and Eve, in order 
to cover up their sin. And when I say cover up, I don't mean cover it up like, like makeup cover it up, but, but I mean to make them presentable. In order to do it, God had to kill. God who created this entire universe in love and created Adam and Eve and all the animals in love, God who delighted in his creation more than you and I could ever really fathom, this God was brought to the place where he was the first one to kill. He had to sacrifice to do it. Now I'm sure that sounds familiar to you. At least to many of you. Centuries later, when Jesus Christ came into this world, he was perfectly known by his father and he was perfectly loved. Twice the gospels record that from heaven a voice said, this is my beloved son. This is my son whom I delight in. And yet when he went to that cross, what happened to him? He was stripped naked and he was utterly and completely exposed and he bore our shame, Hebrews 12 says. Why? So that you and I could be fully, completely, perfectly clothed, not with fig leaves, not even with animal skins, but we could be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. Listen to these words from Revelation 7. This is John's vision of the end of days when Jesus returns and he establishes his kingdom and he says this, it's unbelievable. He says, John says, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people and every language standing before the throne and in front of the lamb, they were wearing, listen to this, they were wearing white robes. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. These in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. There's a theologian by the name of J.I. Packer. And he wrote something in a book called Knowing God. It's a phenomenal book. He wrote this years ago and it has been with me a long time. He says, there is unspeakable comfort in knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of you in love and watching over you for your good. Listen to this. There is tremendous relief in knowing that his love for you is utterly realistic. Based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about you. So that no discovery about you can disillusion him in the way that you are so often disillusioned with yourself 
and no discovery can quench his determination to bless you. Friends, the thing that your heart so desperately wants to be completely known, completely accepted, is accomplished completely in Jesus Christ. Do you not know that when you sin and you are shocked by it and you are overwhelmed by it and you think, how the heck could I do that? You have not for one iota dislodged or upset or shaken the loving resolve of your heavenly father to shape you into his son and to make you like his son for his glory because he already knows that about you. Nothing you can do can surprise him. But understand that Assurance is only available in Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you have not put your trust in him, I urge you, come to him. Don't delay. Come to him today. Tell him how tired you are of trying to sew fig leaves together for yourself and make yourself worthwhile and experience his love and his acceptance through his own perfect son, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for the ways in which we have failed to honor and accept your righteousness made possible for us in Jesus. Forgive us for trying to sew these stupid big leaves together. So often we are so slow to learn and but you are so patient and we thank you for that and we ask that this morning you would teach us afresh and anew that we can, we can find in you someone who knows us to the bottom and loves us to the skies in a way that no one else ever could. And teach us to rest in that we ask in Jesus' name, amen.